Welcome to The Podlight, the audio collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm your host, Bob Stedler. We have a great show this episode. We'll be talking about the big stories for 2019. With me is Janice Bitters and Nadia Lopez from San Jose Spotlight. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having us. Hi. Nice to be here. So 2019 was not dull in any fashion at all between national and local politics. And downtown San Jose is about to step into its next evolution of development. We've been buying and buying and buying for the last three years, and now it's time to get some shovels in the ground. So what do you think is the most prominent story of uh, development downtown? Yeah, I mean, I think that the one that really stole the headlines all year was the Google development, of course, which is on the west side of San Jose's downtown. They did submit their proposal, their formal proposal in October. And what we found out from that is that the development is even bigger than we initially anticipated when we were talking about six to eight million square feet for a couple of years there. Now we know that it's actually going to come in probably a bit closer to 10 million square feet. So that was a really that was a really big one. Beyond that, the rest of downtown has also seen enormous proposals coming in from, you know, Gary Dillabaugh, Jay Paul, Sobrato has a big proposal down there. We know Boston Properties has started to make moves on a property that they hadn't really touched in a very long time. So we've definitely seen a proposal boom. We haven't seen that many shovels, though. Yeah, I think Jay Paul, you know, breaking ground on 200 Park Avenue was huge to have a spec office building. I, I think he has a tenant, but he hasn't told anybody who it is yet. But that's a big deal to have Jay Paul, you know, spending all that money on Park Center Plaza. He's going to start. Google wants to start in two years. So, you know, save a major recession that happens the next six months. I think we'll see shovels in the ground. What do you see that as the perspective, Nadia, on San Jose and kind of how they see themselves with, you know, this major development? I think that the reason why all this development is happening and San Jose wants to streamline it and start to get shovels in the ground is because the city and the region is in a housing crisis. So right now they're doing whatever they can with whoever they can to make that happen, increase the housing stock and create more affordable housing. Yeah, I think, you know, people are looking for housing that they can actually walk to and having jobs downtown and having transit downtown with Dearden Station being a multimodal of high speed rail, low speed rail and all the other rails that are going to be coming in. It's going to be that environment that, you know, millennials want where it's walkable and they can have jobs and housing in an active environment. What do you see as the biggest, you know, kind of precursor to the next phase, Janice? So, I mean, I do think that Jay Paul breaking ground is going to provide a lot of um, confidence for all these other developers that have proposals out there but haven't broken ground. Jay Paul, they're known as a developer that can weather the storm. I mean, when they built out Moffat Park, in Sunnyvale, they did that and opened it up in a recession and those buildings were empty for a long time and now they're a major success story in Silicon Valley because they're all filled up by Google and Amazon and Facebook. So I think that, you know, that was a big bellwether. And I think that other developers, if they, you know, if they're gonna do it, following Jay Paul's lead is 
uh, probably, you know, the thing that will get them going. The, the only thing that would be more strong is if they actually get tenants in tow. We do know that tenants are starting to look at downtown San Jose, and I'm talking major tenants. I mean, Google is an obvious one, but there's been rumors that other companies are looking, including Facebook and things like that. So the fact that, you know, we're seeing that kind of attention in downtown San Jose, if we can get a tenant locked into any of these buildings, even half of the buildings, then I think those will start to break ground as well. And of course, we also know Adobe is expanding down there. They decided to double down on on San Jose, and there's a reason for that. And I think, you know, as, as exciting as downtown San Jose is, you know, a story that caught a lot of people's attention is what's going on in Santa Clara. Santa Clara was known for years as being the sleepy, quiet town. All of a sudden, you know, you knock on the NFL's door, they answered, and now they're kind of dealing with the aftermath. That is a good way to frame it, Bob. Yeah, this year was a, a weird one. I mean, I know that the 49ers and Santa Clara have not always been the best of friends. I think that's, you know, that's an understatement. Lots of lawsuits. The city attorney, um, Brian Doyle, will be very careful to let everyone know that, you know, in terms of lawsuits, the San Francisco 49ers are always the first ones that send over the lawsuit. So I think, you know, the city feels that the 49ers have been the aggressor. But in the meantime, you know, the city recently voted to remove the 49ers management power. You know, they, they want to pick a new manager of Levi Stadium, despite the contract that's in place. And they want to take away the 49ers ability to make any purchases or sign contracts for maintenance on the stadium. And the 49ers are definitely fighting back on that. So I, I think this long battle has kind of reached ahead. We're watching it happen right now. Yeah, and I think the I think there's two battles. I think there's the actual contractual battle, and then there's the public relations battle, and who's trying to win hearts and minds. And it's going to be interesting to see how elected officials compete with a billionaire owner with a multi-billionaire corporation, which is the NFL. And you have like 49ers fans, and you're supposed to convince them that this team you've been rooting for for decades in your whole life is they're bad guys all of a sudden. It's going to be really hard for Santa Clara to prove that. And it's going to be interesting to see what comes next in the PR fight. Yeah, I think that's a really fair way to say that. I will say that they have, I mean, I've been at these press conferences and Santa Clara comes prepared. I mean, the last big press conference that I was at, the city's mayor and folks from labor and other people, I mean, they came, there were signs taped up against all the walls showing paycheck by paycheck that the 49ers had messed up a specific payroll for a service and basically you know just they they had this big cardboard that that said that that they were giving the 49ers an f and they posed with that for pictures so i will say that santa clara knows that and they're playing that game i think it's only going to get uglier i think the toxic politics of washington dc is kind of spilling into local politics and i think what was seen as decorum and beyond the pale is all out the window. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it, we are seeing that there's a lot more divisiveness on the federal level, but also on the local level. I think everybody would agree with that. So the other story in Santa Clara that is making, um, that kind of made big waves, it was really controversial. So last year, a judge ruled in Santa Clara, you know, that they could no longer do their at-large elections, meaning everybody elects everybody. And instead, the judge said, this dilutes minority voices. And 
you can't do this. It, it violates the law. So you need to split into six districts and even gave them a six district template to use for the next two years. So they used that in 2018 and 2020. Now the city of Santa Clara says they need to update their charter to reflect that they now have districts instead of at large. But rather than going with the six districts recommended by the judge, they said, no, we need to do a public process. And through that public process, they decided to land on three districts. This was a huge controversy. It was split. The people that really believe that six districts is best really believe that. And the people that really believe three districts is best really believe that. I mean, these council meetings were not always pretty. People were yelling. People were being threatened to be removed from the district. And I just think, you know, the big question is, what will voters do on March 3rd? And will this invite more lawsuits? Yeah, I, I think the biggest problem here is is it's representation. Right. It's what our country was founded on. And the fact that Santa Clara is trying to squash representation and you have the white mayor and white council members and the white city attorney all kind of wagging their finger at people don't know what they want and we know what's best really doesn't come across well. And the people who filed the lawsuit seem to be quite earnest and they don't quite have an agenda. They're not a labor group. They're not backed by the 49ers. They just want representation, and it's a fight that is just sad in 2019 that we have to have this conversation. But at some point, the voters are going to have to weigh in, and they're either going to have to vote them out or vote in a structure because the judge is not going to let this stand. So this is not only a big headline from 2019, but it is a headline to watch in 2020 because, like I said, it's going to the ballot March 3rd. We'll find out what the voters say. And I know just from being there that... that the people that feel specific ways about this feel very passionately about it. So I'll be interested to see what the overall electorate believes. It has to go to the people. And I mean, the judge was very clear, no innuendo at all about why this is an issue. And the fact that the people who are talking about at large act like it's not an issue in a way that I describe it to people is imagine city of San Jose. Imagine city of San Jose didn't have districts. How many people from Willow Glen would be on the city council right now? You know, that's fair. Although I will say that San Jose is significantly larger with over a million people compared to Santa Clara's maybe 130,000. And that is one argument that has been made through this debate. But, you know, that Santa Clara is small. It doesn't need six full districts. But not everybody agrees with that. And there are smaller cities that have six districts. So, you know, it's it's really the way you view the world. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's representation and, and district wide. And I think the fact that, you know, cronyism as it is and, you know, I I just think, you know, I just imagine San Jose, you'd have, you know, three council members from Almond Valley, three from Willow Glen, maybe somebody from Alviso and somebody from the West Side. And no matter the size of the city, the core of the tenants of our you know republic is the same as people need to be represented. And if they did a better job showing the judge how they were representing the whole, then they would have won that lawsuit. Well, it is being appealed right now, so we'll find out. But anyway, I don't uh, want to belabor that point, yeah. but let's let's continue to watch it in 2020. I totally agree. And I think the other thing, too, that's just kind of sad is I, I hate these lawsuits and the appeals because it's just costing taxpayers money. And it's just you just see the, the, the taxpayers' money going out. So a story that was even bigger than the first two is what I call the housing tragedy. I refuse to call it a crisis because if something's been a crisis for 10 to 20 years, it's not a crisis anymore. It's like the, if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. 
And so we're talking about housing and big tech has jumped in with what appears to be big money. But when you look at the stakes of what we're dealing with here, it's not that much money. Right. So big actors like Apple, Facebook, Google have said to not just the city of San Jose, but other cities and even the state of California that they would like to donate money, some funds, uh, millions in funds, not just some, towards affordable housing projects and building more housing. But there isn't necessarily, at least for some of these proposals, a clear path on how to exactly do that. And so many city leaders, including the San Jose City Council, isn't waiting around to see if it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And they can't necessarily depend that all of those funds that, say, Apple or Google is proposing to invest in housing is going to go into one place. And so that's kind of spurred a lot of conversation around, well, what can we do as a city to, one, get shovels in the ground and make it easier for developers to build here? And two, also do it fast, right? Because that's part of the problem with, as you call the housing crisis, a housing tragedy that we're in. It doesn't matter how many proposals developers put in or how many things the city tries to do in order to move ahead if we don't actually see that happening quickly. So I also find it interesting how it's being reported. I'm tired of hearing people say, well, Google is building 20,000 housing units. They talk about a billion dollars. And so there's a bunch of PR spin that happens with these tech companies trying to play. I'm not the bad guy is how I kind of look at it is somebody, you know, Cisco came in for what, 10, 20 million. And so everybody else was kind of guilted to put in the money. And you know, somebody was in a boardroom somewhere saying, okay, they gave this much money. How much do we have to put in? And then trying to play the, you know, the not the bad guy game. And then the complexities of, you know, like for example, the Apple money is not just money, they also put up land. And unfortunately, not all that land has housing allowed to go there. So Janice, how do you see the Apple situation playing out? Yeah, well, that one is a complicated one. <laughs> so Apple came in with probably the biggest uh, initiative that we've seen. I think it was um, $2.5 billion. And what part of that that is... $300 million um, going to land that they own in San Jose, North San Jose, that they plan to make available for housing. So, you know, they're, they're basically counting the value of that land and saying, we're going to make it available for housing, which, you know, land, getting land for housing is a big issue. The problem that we're seeing here is that housing isn't actually allowed to rise in that part of San Jose right now due to a long standing lawsuit and settlement with surrounding cities in the county. So that's very complicated, as you can tell. But the rest of the stuff, you know, I mean, they're also promising grants and forgivable loans and things like that. This kind of stuff can be deployed. But yes, as Nadia said, it's not always very specific about, you know, exactly how they're going to do it. One group, Google, has already started to deploy. So we are starting to see their you know, promise for grants, land, and, um, and loans take shape. Uh, we don't have that much information about Facebook yet, other than their, you know, they do have their house, their, their like 
project in Menlo Park, which is where their land commitment is. And they were already trying to get 1,500 units built there. So anyways, all of that's very complicated. One thing to get to your point is none of these tech companies are building the housing. They are hiring other companies to come in and build that housing. Their investment is in the form of land value or, you know, grants to help somebody else put more of their own money in and get the housing built. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing about the Apple in particular is I think I think these tech companies were a bit annoyed being labeled the bad guy about, you know, you're bringing all these employees and what they're doing with San Jose is saying, okay, we're going to give land and we're going to show how we're not the only obstacle for housing. And, you know, it really ties into the next issue, which is about, you know, the North San Jose development caps. And will they come to an agreement with Santa Clara? And Nadia, how do you see that playing out? So that's really interesting because San Jose has had this policy in place, the North San Jose development policy for more than 10 years. And... So far, it has four different phases. In each phase, the city wants to build, in line with its industrial development, 8,000 units of, of residential units uh, of housing. But in more than 10 years, it hasn't come close to fulfilling its four stages. So it's nearing the end of its first phase with around 7,000 units, something that's Really interesting, however, is that in next year, the city was planning on rephasing the whole policy, but now they're not doing that anymore because of new state legislation, including SB 330, which says that you no longer have to there's have a, a cap for building residential units anymore. So that kind of goes against the initial agreement that the city made with neighboring jurisdictions, including Santa Clara, back in 2006, and streamlines new housing production and creates an opportunity for the city to prioritize residential units in that area over industrial units. Yeah, I mean, I was at redevelopment when this all kind of came out. And when somebody says, well, I don't really understand how this all works, and you talk to young people about it, I kind of explain it's like a video game. It's like to get to the next housing thing, you have to unlock a level and the industrial and the jobs is, is kind of what you have to do to level up, get next level housing. And unfortunately, this has caused the state of California to come in and say, no, no more gamification of housing that you have to build so much jobs. Every city in the state has some level of gamification of we're not going to build this for this reason or that reason. And in this situation, Santa Clara really used sequel lawsuits to their benefit with level of service. And now that level of service has gone away from the sequel situation. It, it's really going to cause this whole thing to come to a head quite quickly. So from Santa Clara perspective, what do you think they're going to do? Well, last time I spoke to Mayor Sam Licardo, I asked him about this. I said, hey, the 8,000 units that are in the first phase have already been built. You guys are... You know what? I, I don't even know the exact number of commercial space that needs to be built in Santa in North San Jose to unlock the next phase, um, but I believe it's in the millions. And so, how are you going to unlock this next batch of housing? Especially considering that Apple's saying that they'll make their land available for housing in this area. And he said, Milpitas was part of that agreement back, you know, a decade ago. And he said they seem on board to unlock the next batch of housing and same with the county of Santa Clara, but the city of Santa Clara, not on board. Now, the city of Santa Clara and San Jose have not 
always gotten along great. They have sued each other over various developments. But I do think, you know, I've been at council meetings in Santa Clara where the council members have expressed a renewed interest in wanting to get along. So whether, you know, Santa Clara and San Jose will be able to work out their differences to come to an agreement to unlock more housing in the near term in North San Jose. I don't know whether that state bill that Nadia mentioned will come to the rescue in this situation for San Jose. Maybe. I just don't know. The the dynamics are difficult. So tied to housing is a really hot topic of fees, right? So a developer hates them. Communities love them because we'll have to pay for things like affordable housing, police and fire. And so people have been framing the fees conversation as a barrier to development and it's only getting hotter and hotter. And so Nadia, what do you see as far as the debate? As we've heard from several debates on the city council, developers have said it's really expensive to build in San Jose and in Silicon Valley. And there aren't many incentives for them to do that, knowing that it's a long drawn out process, it's so expensive, and they might not be getting their return that they're looking for. And so the city recently has made it easier for developers to build because they just wanna build more housing fast. And one of those new policies that they passed was the Downtown High-Rise Incentive Program, which basically allows developers who wanna build high-rises in downtown um, waive certain fees and taxes for them in order for them to be able to have a reason to want to build there instead of, you know, going to outer corners of San Jose or different parts of the valley that are not as developed uh, to build there. So it'll be interesting to see what kinds of projects break down under this new program and if it really does incentivize developers to uh, create new, new units in downtown. So Janice, I mean, with this fee stuff, it really goes back to land use and brokers and the value of land. I mean, do you hear brokers talking about this at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously, these are generally brokers can do various jobs. So some might mostly work on leasing, but some work on selling these land parcels that can be redeveloped. And um, what I am hearing from sources that do that part of the, the brokerage uh, is that, you know, sometimes sometimes developers in downtown San Jose have wanted to sell their property. They are struggling to get people to buy their property even after it's been entitled, meaning it's approved. You can build something on this. And getting it entitled is often the hardest part. So, so usually, you know, once you entitle something and you say, hey, you can build up to 20 stories on this site, then you can get some real interest. But I'm hearing from brokers that it has not been easy to draw investors to this area. And the big reason, as Nadia said, it's not penciling very well um, because the land costs are high, the process is long and drawn out, time is money in development. Um, The rents are not as high in San Jose as they are in some other parts of the Bay Area, like San Francisco generally, um, and or Palo Alto. Well, that was a really big market. If if Palo Alto allowed more housing to rise, I think they'd definitely get it. <laughs> and uh, you know, and so so yeah, developers are looking at this and going, can I build this? And can I do it and get a decent return so that I can get a different investor to come here and give me money so that I can hire a construction crew, get it built, and then give them a return on investment within X number of years, five or 10 years. And if the answer is no, they're not gonna buy it. 
and they're not going to build it because they can't get the money to build it. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of allowing things to rise, it's I think the 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 big bad and the big dark cloud that's coming over cities is loss of local control. The state of California is like that upset parent with the two kids in the back of the car <laughs> and they're threatening to turn around. The state's turning around right now. And the state was kind of built on local control, letting local jurisdictions do what they want. You had charter cities doing things their own way. And the state's just pretty much fed up with it. And I think we're going to have an avalanche of le- legislation next year. We've already started to see some of it. I mean, SB 35 is an example of what you're talking about, which is the bill that basically streamlines projects that are at least two-thirds housing. Um, and it says, hey, if a project comes into your city and it meets all the rules in your general plan, um, then it, it can apply to be an SB 35 project. And it needs to be streamlined and it needs to be approved timely. And you can't nitpick it to death. And that's life. That's what's happening over at Balco right now, um, Sand Hill Property company used SB 35 to try to rebuild the Bronco. So SB 50 is coming down the line uh, next year that, you know, it'll be year two of the debate. We'll see if it gets passed. That would essentially upzone all the land around high frequency transit stops. And then there's um, the recent ruling by an um, appeals court in San Jose that if there is city owned land, then the city must sell it to somebody with a priority of getting at least 25% affordable housing built on that land. Um, And San Jose had wanted some cutouts for economic development as well, since they have fewer jobs than they do homes in the city, so that they see themselves in a position where they need more economic development. And this uh, appeals court said, nope, you need to follow the state law and sell all of your city-owned land only for housing. So... um, some people feel like all of that is an overreach and that we elected officials to be able to design our cities. We, that's what we did at the ballot box. Um, and some people say, no, this housing crisis means that the state has a huge interest in this and they should be able to make these kinds of decisions and force cities to build housing. Um, though that's kind of the two sides. Yeah. So Nadia, how do you see like San Jose kind of dealing with this? Do you think they're going to do you think they're going to kind of keep advocating for local control or do you think they're going to look at this as a way to kind of tell the voters that, hey, I would love to say no, but I have no choice? Well, I think that the city council most likely will always agree on keeping local control. I think that cities want to prioritize that so that they can make decisions based off of what their voters want. And each district is different, right? I mean, a district with predominantly single-family homes might not like something like SB 50 or a district like downtown where there's a whole different kind of set of different development might not think it's that relevant to them because they already see high rises and they already see you know um, new developments around transit happening in their neighborhoods so what will be interesting to see is if something like SB 50 does pass how it affects housing production in smaller cities. Uh, cities that Janice covers, for example, in Santa Clara or in Cupertino, or these places that have, for a long time, been really opposed to any kind of development. What kind of new projects, maybe even similar to Valco, will start happening in these places? And I think that at the local level in San Jose, the city's already been prioritizing projects that fall in line with a policy like SB50. The mayor has 
on many different occasions said that we need to prioritize denser housing around transit, which is what SB50 is trying to do at the statewide level. So I think that with that in mind, the city is already trying to imagine that image. And so it'll be more interesting to see how smaller cities, whether they sign on to that too or not. Yeah, I think the smaller cities are going to be just, you know, grabs, grabbing at the wall saying, I'm not coming down and I'm not going to, there's going to be lawsuits for years. Um, I think uh, the most contentious issue we've faced as Californians and especially in the Bay Area is our very good friends at Pacific Gas and Electric, our good <laughs> friends at PG&E, the people who don't know how to build a website, don't know how to use Amazon Web Services to let you know what's going on. Um but they also know how to look very sternly that they they care. Um, so the the you know the fourth quarter of the year crazy idea as people would call it is let's take over PG and E you know let's hack the planet let's go and try and you know take it over from a city point of view. And Mayor Licardo you know threw that out there as a trial balloon and it's actually going somewhere. So Jess, what do you what do you see as far as your point of view of, you know, does this have any chance in hell? Oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest issue here is always going to be money. I mean, it takes a lot of money and a lot of investment into infrastructure, um, as well as a lot of community work. I mean, like, I understand the need. For, I understand why Sam Licardo wanted to um, propose that. And I think uh, we have examples in the Bay Area of other cities that have done this, so it's definitely not impossible. But the question is going to be political will as well as the will of the community because this is going to take an enormous investment into infrastructure uh, if that's what we want to do. And I don't know how we pay for that. Well, I mean, Nadia, I mean, we've seen this last, you know, housing ballot measure kind of create some odd bedfellows between Councilmember Camus and Councilmember Menez being against that parcel tax, I mean, you kind of see how the tea leaves are going. You know, you've covered this story from San Jose point of view. You know, what's your perspective on it? So Mayor Licardo, alongside like 20 other mayors in California, have basically said, you know, let's turn PG&E into a customer-owned utility, which would make it look similar to like a mutual insurance corporation or a credit union or something along those lines so that customers have more control and on top of that PG&E could be making investments into electrical grid upgrades and infrastructure maintenance and things that basically have not been uh, kept up to date and as a result have helped spur wildfires across the state. So I think that it'll be, I don't know what will happen with this, considering that pg and in bankruptcy right now. And so they basically have until June of next year to get out of bankruptcy. And then the courts decide. And right now, I think that the mayor with other people in both the city and across the state are really pushing for the state to think about this as a serious option, but it won't be an easy journey getting there. And it'll be a very long time before that could even become a reality. Yeah. I, I think as Janice said, and you're saying it's just a, who's going to pay for it and B is there the political will to 
make this a reality. And I think the cost of it, from my point of view, it's like buying a, a rundown car and you don't even know where to start to fix it. I think the state of California is the linchpin in this because I think the state of California has all that those rainy day funds just sitting there. And it's going to be really interesting to see is does Gavin go tap, you know, the bank and just go touch those funds. And it'll be interesting to see, does he have the will to put his first term as governor as he's upsetting a lot of people? Does he have the guts to go heads up something his predecessor wouldn't do? Janice, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I think that's a really good point, especially because of the housing crisis. Um, I feel like it, you know, that could be a big sell. I mean, uh, Newsom immediately came out of the gate and said, we're going to make 3.5 million uh, homes in, in California, which is our state's deficit of, you know, where we need to be if we wanted to house everybody. Um, we're going to do this. And that's already a uphill battle because across the state, cities are zoned for only 2.8 million homes. I mean, literally in terms of the general plans that are in place across the state, that's how many homes are allowed to rise right now. So that's an uphill battle. Sure, it's upsetting. It's going to take a lot of money. And so how to fight that battle and then how to take money that could maybe go to the housing crisis and divert it to electricity. They're both really critical issues, but it just I guess it depends on what the voters' priorities are going to be. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a great way to end it. I think it's a way to look at you have all these choices and you have all these fights you need to fight, you know, which one's the biggest priority. And it's hard to tell people that your power going out is the new normal. And it seems like it's already there. And it, it's going to be an interesting 2020. It's really shocking that we're right on the doorstep of doing that. This has been The Podlight, a collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm Bob Stedler. Today I had Janice Bitters and Nadia Lopez, and we will see you soon.